it generally makes sense to convert it right away anyway because if you put after-tax money into your 401k plan and then it grows the growth on it becomes taxable whereas if you had converted it and put it into a Roth then the growth is tax-free so generally it makes sense to convert it right away even after contribution but for some people they they either don't do it or whatever the case may be but um, this is this may be your last chance here before 1231 welcome to retire smarter with Kevin Krosky find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world it's time to retire smarter Glad you're with us today on Retire Smarter. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, the greater Pittsburgh area, and down to Southwest Florida. You can find us online at truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button to schedule a time to chat with an experienced financial advisor on the team. You can also call 855-TWD-PLAN to get in touch, and we'll put that contact info in the description of today's show. Kevin, great to be with you on the program. Grand today. How you been? Well, it's, I'm good, buddy. I uh, my oldest just had her eighth birthday, um, so we have an eight year old big eight in the household. Yes, nice. um, eight is great. Eight's her favorite number, so it's going to be a big year for her. And you know, she's. <laughs> I think my wife is more than making up for a childhood that she wished she had, and uh, she just had a fantastic birthday week. Um, but I asked her, Aubrey's her name, and I, I asked her. I said, you know, I wanted to do something just the two of us, and gave her some choices uh and she actually chose to go to a pittsburgh steeler game I was like, oh my gosh i do love you <laughs> oh my goodness uh so uh, i told you know the game there must have been some under the table bribing happening here right? zero zero no not zero i mean she's uh, you know we we get to we dress up on sundays we have fun um i've taught her the steelers are good and the other teams are bad of course as any good fan would do um but we went to the game yeah especially this season that's true <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. By the time this airs, I'm kind of scared to see what the, uh, <laughs> the Steelers record looks like. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, uh, so the cool thing was, I mean, they did not win the game that we went to, but she was actually on the Jumbotron at the stadium. So she no was way. That's over great. the moon. Like I wasn't on it. The cameraman at the angle <laughs> got uh, her and I, I took my brother-in-law, her uncle, and they got the two of them, but she was there just you know, as cute as can be, shaking her Pittsburgh Steelers terrible towel, and she was just over the moon about it. So it was a fantastic experience, you know, even with the Steelers losing, uh, just to do that with her um, was awesome. That is really cool. What a great experience for her. And uh, do you think that'll be a, a wish for her ninth birthday as well? Can that become an annual birthday wish? You know, she she had fun. I mean, there was <laughs> – we were there for a while. I think she got a little bored at times. And, um, and the stadium was – I don't want to say it wasn't that close of a game. It was a better game. Maybe it would have been a little bit more engaging. But it was a lot for her to sit through. Um, on balance, she had fun. I think she would want to do it again. But um, our, our younger daughter uh, turned three in August. And so maybe next year, maybe all four of us uh, can go together. So we'll see. But, um, you know, Daddy will be tuning in on Sundays. Well, one other quick aside. So, um, so I was listening to the game on talk radio, going to the game, and she's like, but daddy, we're we're going to watch the game. Why are you listening to them talk about the game? And then after the game on the way home, I'm listening to the breakdown of the game. She's like, Daddy, you, you just watched the game. Now you're still listening <laughs> to them talk about the game. <laughs> it's like it's like the game inside the game inside the game. But uh yeah. 
That's pretty funny. Yes, I can imagine that being to an eight-year-old being like, whoa, 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 hold on. We just were at this thing. Why are you, we, you saw it with your own eyes. What, what do you need the analysis of someone else for? <laughs> right. You'll understand later. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Well, glad you guys had a great time. And um, yeah, I'm glad it was a great experience overall. And congratulations to Aubrey on hitting the big eight years old. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a fantastic show on the way today. Not as fun as going to a Pittsburgh Steelers game, I'm sure. But uh, I think it'll be informative and uh, and pretty interesting to hear your perspective on this, Kevin, because we're talking about Biden's American Families Tax Plan. Finally, things have uh, gotten into motion and started happening here. And you're here to break down some of the key changes. And as always, you're looking for opportunities where there might be problems or uh, you know bumps in the road. And can't wait to hear your breakdown of everything. Yeah, you got it. So it's, uh, I guess, first and foremost, it's not law yet. Um, so this was a proposal that came out on September 13th. And uh, it is actually, uh, you know, kind of a tax proposal that came out of the House and Ways and Means Committee. Um, so this is kind of the starting point in the sausage making process. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be a few changes before it becomes law. But, you know, ultimately, uh, a lot of the things we're going to talk about today, I think, are, are very likely to happen. So it makes sense to start thinking about it. One of, And we'll just really talk about individuals today. There's some things for individuals, for businesses, estates and trusts and so on and so forth. But this is really just more for individual income tax planning. And I think the big thing to take away is it's not nearly as bad, um, you know, or, or as punitive, maybe uh, a more accurate word, uh, bad and good or, or maybe more subjective. But uh, it's not nearly as punitive uh, as what was originally discussed. Uh, so. I think that's that's pretty good um, in my subjective view. But uh, I'll, I'll put this into, say, three buckets. We'll talk about, um, and I will use these subjective phrases. I'll use bad, good, and then things that didn't make it into the bill. And uh, we'll talk about you know what, what really is there and maybe some things that we should start doing or, or keep doing for that matter. But in terms of the bad, uh, and this isn't necessarily a huge thing, but the top marginal tax rate, uh, used to be 39.6 when Obama uh, was in office. Uh, it got reduced down to 37. It was already scheduled to go back to 39.6 in 2026. It's just moving it up more quickly to 2022. So not a huge increase there, just a little less than 3%. Um, but coupled with that, the brackets uh, are more compressed uh, for this top rate. So the top of the 37% bracket used to start at about 630000 of taxable income if you're married filing jointly. Now it at, starts at 450000 So higher rate, but also starting on a lower dollar amount. Um, so th- there you have it uh, for, for the income. Um, main uh, tax increase uh, for a capital gains tax. So there was a lot of talk about capital, a couple of things happening with capital gains, um, going to ordinary income if you're in the top tax bracket, or if your income was more than a uh, million dollars, which is, you know, obviously not quite a big number, but that didn't happen. Uh, the increase really went from 20% uh, top capital gains rate to 25%, uh, starting at that $450,000 taxable income level. So again, really only applicable to those that are in the top tax bracket, which was really something that Biden stated before, you know, hey, if your income is below 400,000, you're not going to see an increase. So you're kind of seeing a theme here in that regard. So those were the two, uh, I would say, big changes, the more the punitive or aka bad if you're in that bracket uh, and subject to those increases. Some of the things that also are going to be more uh, widespread 
So uh, if the new tax law prohibits conversions, so moving money to a Roth IRA, converting that money of after-tax amounts. Um, so this applies to both IRAs as well as 401ks. So for many, many years, um, well, let me back up for a moment. So when it comes to the Roth, uh, there's really kind of two C words to be mindful of. You can contribute to it or you can convert money to it. If your income is high enough, then that contribution is is not permitted. So one of the ways to get around that was something called a backdoor Roth IRA. And if you say all your money was in the 401k, you could put money into a traditional IRA, not take a tax deduction for it because your income's too high and you're participating in your 401k and no tax deduction is allowed. But now you have this after-tax money in the IRA. And if you want to go ahead and convert that to a Roth, well, there's very de minimis to zero taxable income to do it. So it was a bit of a, a backdoor, thus the name, backdoor Roth IRA. So that would now be precluded from happening. And then also uh, there was something uh, as it related to 401k plans, the mega backdoor Roth IRA. This is where you could put in on a pre-tax basis this year, under age 50, you could put in 19500 but um, if, you, if your plan uh, permitted it, you could put additional after-tax contributions into the plan as much as I think the number is about 58000 total this year between all defined contributions going into those plans. So you could have a sizable amount of money of after-tax money over and above that nineteen five going into this bucket, and then you could convert that over into a Roth IRA. So both of those conversions, the backdoor Roth is gone and the mega backdoor Roth, I won't say is, but um, is likely to be gone. I think this is going to be one of those things that's going to stick. And then one other uh, uh, mention on the conversions. So for everybody back in those top tax brackets, so again, 450000 plus taxable income if you're married filing jointly, no more Roth conversions for you. But that starts in about 10 years. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, some of this, there's a lot more spending in some places and they're trying to offset some of that spending. Um, and the reason why they did this for 10 years, I believe anyway, I'm speculating, but um, they, the CBO scores this over a 10 year period and they're pushing this out to year 11, basically saying that, hey, <laughs> go ahead and, and keep doing the conversions for the next 10 years and pay us those taxes as you move the money from pre-tax IRA or 401k over to the Roth um, because we need that tax revenue to make our plan work and the CBO to score it the way that we need them to do it. So kind of a lot. Let me take a pause there. Walt, any questions on anything I just shared? No, I think uh, all that makes sense. It's interesting with a backdoor Roth uh, option going away. I can see that being, that seems like the thing that might affect the most people out of this section of things that are bad, perhaps. Yeah, I would say so. If I, okay. if I think of our client base Yes, we have you know several handfuls of people uh, that have these backdoor Roths. Uh, my wife and I uh, are can be included in that. Um, typically, uh, not always, but typically, it tends to be a little bit younger. You know, kind of still work, certainly still working. You know, higher income people that um, that can just go ahead and and do this. Um, you can't really have money in in IRA accounts. Uh, there's something called the aggregation rule where. You know, if you have, say, a, a rollover from a prior employer, maybe it's $100,000, and you try to put in $6,000 into an IRA that's not deductible and convert it, well, all those dollars are aggregated together. So it's not just the $6,000 you put in that you move over. It's actually a, a ratio, uh, the 6000 divided by 106000 So 
It's called the aggregation rule. Some people explain it as the cream in the coffee. After you put the cream in the coffee and stir it up, it really doesn't separate. Um, so you have to have certain traits to do it and do it correctly. Um, but yes, it's definitely the most broadly applicable item and uh, it's likely to be gone. I think there's there's broad support for it. I mean, I'm... I'm all for making things simpler in terms of, uh, you know, I, I'd prefer not having backdoor options and, and those kinds of things. Just personal preference. Just just give, give me the basic rules. But at the same time, like, just uh, make, make it easier for everybody to figure out what they need to do. You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we overcomplicate these things. But yes, yes, for sure. And then there's people like myself and you know, we'll look at the rules and we'll try to plan. You know, we're not going to. Uh, well, I'm not taxes. blaming you for taking advantage of it by any by any stretch. No. Absolutely, but yeah, no, I, I get it. And you know, candidly, I mean, the tax code was simplified a great deal um, with the 17 reform, with the standard deduction being what it is, right. being significantly higher. Many, many fewer people are itemizing. Your return preparation has gotten simpler. So, in general, it's it's moved that direction. Um, but you know, there's always going to be anytime you're going to have something that's black and white you're always going to find people trying to find the gray in there and some people more aggressively than others. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of a never ending thing whatever sort of simplification they're going to have, there's going to be uh, some other ideas that come up and become tested over time about how to get around it. And that is kind of fun to do for somebody in your position. I would imagine looking for, looking for those areas where you can test it a little we bit. We all should pay our fair share Walt, but uh, we don't have to leave, leave a tip. So to say, that's yes. right. I like that. Um, so that's everything that I have uh, in the quote unquote bats. Well, actually, one other. Um, there is, uh, and, and this is one of the lesser known ones there, but um, you know, if anybody's doing any sort of private investment, oftentimes uh, this could be some sort of form of real estate or investing in, a, in an operating business um, that's not publicly traded. So a private placement, typically you have to be an accredited investor to do these things. It's something that we use for uh, our accredited investor clients from time to time. Um, because we feel like it makes sense and we like the risk and return attributes of it. But the legislation actually prohibits IRAs from owning any security with income, asset, or licensing requirements. So to be an accredited investor, go from memory here, but I think it's a million dollars liquid, excluding the net worth of your home. Or you know, like if you're married, couple filing joint, you had to have 300,000 income the last two years. So there you have you know income or asset requirements to be an accredited investor. Thus, it would go ahead and preclude those sorts of investments coming in to the IRA. So we'll see if that sticks. Um, I haven't really heard any comments on that one way or the other, but there's been a couple um, cases of Silicon Valley people um, putting these sorts of private investments inside of their IRAs and building uh, an exorbitant amount of wealth inside of them. And uh, there's was some this, different rules. Kind of like that. What was it? Peter Thiel with the how he became a yeah, I think billionaire he's, inside of his IRA. I, yeah, I don't know if it's a. I think it's like I am going completely from memory here, but I thought it was like maybe 50 million in an IRA or something. And we're not going to get into it today, but there are some provisions, probably specifically for him and his Silicon Valley buddies, um, that apply once your IRA gets over like $10 million or something. Mitt Romney was another one when he was running for president. Um, his IRA was, I think, 20 or $30 million. Peter Thiel, though, he had, his was in a Roth. Mitt Romney's was in a taxable IRA. So Mitt Romney's going to be paying through the nose for income taxes. Peter Thiel, um, 
and I think that's who it was, um, you know, tax-free forever in his Roth. So big, big planning difference there. Uh, good job, Peter Thiel. Not so good for Mitt. Um, but nonetheless, you know, two examples of creating significant wealth through a private company or limited partnership interests like that uh, through the IRAs, whether pre-tax or Roth. So th- those are all things um, I'll kind of subjectively put under the bad. If we switch over to the good, um, two things here. Um, so the child tax credit, uh, it, you know, there's a, been a big increase in the child tax credit uh, this year in 21. That's being extended through 2025 um, to the tune of 3000 per child for six and older and uh, 300 uh, per month per child for those six and under. Uh, actually, uh, under the age of six. So six and older than under the age of six. And that does start phasing out as your income gets higher. So if you're single, it starts phasing out at 75000 If you're married filing jointly, it starts phasing out at 150000 So that's happening now. Um, it's really impacted um, a lot of people uh, that have kids, you know, 18 or under, and that's looking to be extended. Um, so that's certainly something on the spending side. Uh, and then also, and something that's more appropriate for the listeners here, uh, the healthcare tax credit. So uh, I'd mention whenever um, the third round of the stimulus plan came out in March of this year, uh, that uh, the healthcare tax credit was changed such that it didn't really matter what your income level was any longer. So um, previously, it used to be that, hey, if you are just a household size of two and your income was more than 400% of the federal poverty line, which round numbers, it was about $70,000 of income hitting your tax return. So say you're 63, you're not on Medicare yet, but you're retired and you have to go get healthcare through, uh, you know, through Obamacare, through these exchanges. Well, um, before, if your income was say maybe $100,000, then, you know, you're kind of SOL and no healthcare tax credit for you. We have several clients that are like that, you know, and they're paying, you know, maybe twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a year for healthcare. Well, with, uh, I can't remember what it was called um, in March, but it was American something or other, American Rescue Plan, or it was stimulus number three, basically. It was the third time they sent the checks out. But that was changed, and so that 400% cap of the federal poverty line was removed, and uh, they actually lowered um, something else that goes into that equation. But uh, so I'll give it a simple example. Let's say that your income, your adjusted gross income, is $100,000 hitting your tax return, and there the cap is well, your in, your healthcare can be no more than eight and a half percent of your AGI, your adjusted gross income. So 100,000 times eight and a half percent is $8,500. Don't get too wonky here. It references, you know, something else, kind of the second lowest cost silver plan in your market. But if I go back to that, that client example that's paying north of $20,000 per year, and now this new change is saying, hey, you're capped at basically eight and a half percent of your AGI. And you can see there's that, more than a ten thousand nice money back in the pocket. That's a huge, yeah. huge money back in the pocket, and and that you know it applies to a fairly small swath of people. In my view, I don't know exactly on the statistics, but just from my practical experience, um, because if you're working, more likely than not, you're on the employer's health care plan, um, unless it's a really small employer without health insurance. But it's really for those people, I would say, that are kind of a bridge to retirement. Um, you had a lot of talk, particularly from the more um, 
liberal portions of the Democratic uh, Party that, you know, they wanted Medicare for all, kind of take it down to age 60, so on and so forth. I would say this is kind of a way to almost get them what they want without, you know, exactly doing just that. You know, they're making it more affordable, giving it more of a health care tax credit for those people. Um, so we'll see if it gets passed and where it ends up. But we have several clients where that's going to be, you know, big, big change, big, big news for them um, and really change our planning strategies. I mean, it's something that we've been doing. We've done podcasts on this before. Tax smart distribution planning, I remember, was one we did probably about two years ago in the fourth quarter when we were going through that process for clients. And we talked about um, we talked about this very thing. Um, I think we actually did one last year, too, Walter. Um, I, and, and the title was how to get like a $16,000 tax credit under Obamacare, even if you're wealthy. Well, it's gotten more generous. And so it's something that we can definitely plan for and avail ourselves of. We'll see if it does get extended through 2025. Actually, I, I, you know, check that. It makes permanent um, was the language. Makes permanent, so that's not extended through 25 like the child tax credit. But uh, at least the initial proposal made it permanent. So we'll see where that ends up. But for our pre-retirees and our um, our early retirees before 65, huge news there. Really, really uh, important piece of information and planning information to be mindful of. Well, we didn't spend as many minutes talking about the good, but for those who fall into that band of uh, improved areas with the child tax credit and that health care benefit, that is huge news for those folks. So fantastic. Even though we know the word permanent doesn't really exist in uh, in government, right? Good observation. Yes, (laughs) you got it. So is, is there maybe the biggest news that there was a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the bill? Um, yeah, I, I guess it depends on where you kind of fall on the income charts, but okay. you know, some of the things that, um, were talked about, uh, that did not, uh, and were proposed initially, um, through Biden's tax plan, but did not end up in the House Wings Means proposal. Um, so there was talk about, uh, you know, currently when you pass away, if you have an investment account with that has grown in value or, have a capital gain, um, when upon your passing, that capital gain is stepped up to your date of death value or something called an alternate valuation date um, that you can do through your estate planning. But that was talked about being eliminated if your um, net worth, your estate was of a certain size. And it would actually apply to a lot of our clients. Um, That did not make it into the proposal. So the current law, at least as it uh, is written, uh, looks to be standing there. So the capital gains will still continue to get a step up in basis at death. Uh, so that does apply for, for certain things, like not only just estate planning, but um, we've talked about asset location before. That's uh, It's a whole kind of wonky subject, but, um, but that definitely applies into like us picking which assets we're going to put into a certain type of account, uh, predominantly into the like a trust account or joint account or non-qualified account, uh, and what we would sell as part of a tax smart distribution plan or not sell. Um, so even though that's an estate planning item, that still does have ramifications over the investment and the retirement income planning. Again, all these things are kind of like dominoes, uh, and, and you pull on one and it kind of pushes over two more. Um, the other thing that didn't end up in here was really for those uh, really high income earners, million plus, uh, the capital gains were supposed to go to and be equivalent to the top ordinary income rate, a 39.6. Um, again, they went from, they're being proposed to go from 20 to 25%. Um, so that's a far cry from being nearly 40%. So if you were fortunate to be in that group, 
you're probably doing a little bit of a happy dance right now uh, because you most certainly have some capital gains uh, outside of you know your IRA and those types of non-qualified accounts. So they're still uh, impacted by the increase. It's just not as much. But then the income level of who that impacts is lower. So it's more people impacted, but not as big of an increase as the original proposal. You got it. Okay. And it's, you know, and, and candidly, I mean, we had uh, a rate like this back when uh, Clinton was in office. It was, a, I think, a 28% rate. And then uh, they had some tax reform in the late late 90s uh, that reduced that rate. So, you know, it's going from 20 to 25. Um, again, I mean, I personally, I don't see it as a big deal. We'll certainly be mindful of it. We'll need a plan around it. But we're already doing the things to minimize any sort of tax drag uh, on our taxable account that has the capital gains anyway. You don't have capital gains in your IRA. Your IRA is, is uh, with it's a pre-tax account, it's going to be fully taxable when it's pulled out, uh, or if it's Roth, it's never going to be taxed. So we're really just talking about those uh, accounts under the umbrella that we call a non-qualified account. So whether it's an individual account, a TOD or transfer on death account, uh, a trust account, a joint account, things along those lines. So that would... <laughs> I'm sorry. Had to do it. You you, you, you use too many abbreviations, dates, and percentages all in one sentence. It, it, it triggered system the system overload. Alert. Yeah, system overload. It's been a while. I kind of missed that, Walter. Thank you for that. You I, just... queued it, I had queued it up today. I had it ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> I figured talking about taxes and on our previous episode, Social Security, we were going to trigger it at some point. Which uh, we, we sure did. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, bring me back down to human Humanville. Um, so uh, two of the other things I'll mention that didn't end up in here um you know again biden always kind of talked about hey if your income's over four hundred thousand, actually the way he, i think he phrased it says if your income's below 400 it's not going to get changed but and he didn't say this but he kind of implied if you're over 400 you're screwed so uh, it's you're not not being as punitively punished as what he originally said um and part of that too was with payroll taxes you know, we work, work with a lot of younger physicians that, you know, are making good income and uh, certainly they're doing well, but they, I mean, they do pay a lot in taxes. Um, and uh, basically the cap on what they pay for payroll taxes was talked about being removed, at least over a certain income threshold. And that was partly going to be part of the social security fix, but that did not end up in the plan. And then uh, one final thing, salt, not the type that you put on um, your food uh, at dinner, but uh, the state and local tax deduction. So uh, I already mentioned, you know, hey, we're all generally availing ourselves of this higher standard deduction. Uh, it's nearly $27,000 this year for married couple filing joint. Um, but, you know, you're capped at only $10,000 of state and local taxes. So property taxes, local income taxes, state income taxes, only $10,000. So many of our clients are capped out at the 10000 And that precludes them from itemizing and getting over that standard deduction. So in Ohio, um, you know, we're not as bad. It's, it's really the higher income tax states. Uh, the New Yorks, New Jersey's, California's, um, Massachusetts, where this is more of an issue. Um, when we went through 2018 tax year, we had a lot of people that pay a lot of salt taxes. And we thought there may have been some that would actually be worse off under um, the tax reform bill that we had. And uh, we had a couple that were close, but actually we had zero people that were worse off you know, from it. So it's really state dependent. Um, but that did not end up uh, in the bill. Uh, so I won't make any comments to it, but those were a few of the key things uh, that were talked about potentially being in the bill that did not make it. 
Okay. Any uh, to-do items that come out of all this information? I know that it's not exactly law yet, so maybe don't go pull the trigger on you know uh, some actionable item just yet, but what should we have our eyes out for? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing that's likely to change, you know, as the sausage gets made, a lot of the things we talked about, and I specifically pulled them out, I think are likely to stick. You know, it's probably some of the things in the business side that are, uh, I think, a little bit more fluid where the business tax rates are and some of the changes there. But we'll see how the sausage gets made. Um, But I think one of the key things that I will reiterate, you know, if you're a married couple filing jointly, you know, this year you can have up to 330000 of taxable income and still pay only a 24% tax rate. You go back to 2017, you are hitting a 25% tax rate at about $75,000 of taxable income. So not only is the rate lower, a smidge, um, but the brackets are way, way wider. And, and that's still the same. Um, I mentioned for these higher income taxpayers that maybe conversions are going to be going away at some point, but that's 10 years plus down the road. So we can continue to avail ourselves of these lower tax brackets through conversions, through just smart tax planning, whether you're still working or uh, you are in retirement. Um, so that's huge. So still only a 24% rate all the way up to 330000 of taxable income, and you can still do conversions. Can I ask um, a clarifying question on the conversions? Absolutely. Th- that includes the, the backdoor Roth options that you're talking about, right? So that, although you're pretty much, you feel guaranteed that is going away, that's also included in that, but it's 10 years from now. No. No, um, okay. No, yeah. All of the after-tax money being converted goes away in 2022. So if you have um, after-tax money in your 401k, you should really be looking at that this fourth quarter and seeing if you can get it out of there and convert it into a Roth. Um, it's a, it's a pretty technical area. Um, if this applies to you, I mean, we have a couple of clients we're going to be having conversations with in the fourth quarter. It generally makes sense to convert it right away anyway, because if you put after tax money into your 401k plan and then it grows, the growth on it becomes taxable. Whereas if you had converted it and put it into a Roth, then the growth is tax-free. So generally, it makes sense to convert it right away, even after contribution. But for some people, they they either don't do it or whatever the case may be. But um, this is this may be your last, last chance here before 1231. So that's huge. If that applies to you, very, very big item. If you have after-tax money in your plan, definitely need to look at that before year-end and probably convert it to a Roth. It may or may not be possible. It depends on your plan, and it takes some time to really dig through that. So if that applies to you, make sure you talk to somebody that's competent and knowledgeable about this. The other thing I would mention is, um, again, that huge healthcare tax credit. It's being quote unquote, permanently done. We'll see where it ends up for sure. Um, I think this is going to be something that sticks. It still applies this year, regardless of this bill. It was part of that stimulus number three that I mentioned, but that is really going to impact some of the tax planning that we're going to do over the next several years. One practical implication of that is um, if we were going to avail ourselves of that tax benefit, then you know we couldn't do as many uh, dollars converted um, into a Roth IRA because pulling money out of the traditional IRA would increase our income. And if we went over the 400% of the federal poverty line, round numbers, about $70,000 for a household size of two, then they're bye-bye tax credit. Now that's gone. Um, so now we can have a little bit more flexibility to do a blend of both healthcare tax credit and conversions and at least do the math and see what makes sense there for everybody. Um, so that's definitely big. And then 
you know, if you're in that four hundred to six hundred thousand dollar taxable income range, candidly, you know, it's it's hitting you more um, than than most because not only are the rates higher, but um, the brackets move lower. So that top tax rate is applying at a lower t- dollar of taxable income threshold. So if you have flexibility over income, you know, these rates are scheduled to to be in effect in 2022. Capital gains are actually scheduled to be in effect as of. September 14th, the day after this legislation was proposed. Um, but if you can accelerate income into 2021, whether it be it for a bonus or if you are a business owner and have some flexibility there, probably a good thing to consider before the end of the year. All right. Very good. And a uh, nice little breakdown of all of these different proposed changes, what made the plan, what did not, and uh, some analysis there. If you have questions about this, please reach out to Kevin and the team at True Wealth Design. You can do that by going to truewealthdesign.com. Click the Are We Right For You button and schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. You can also check our description or the show notes section of today's program for that link and contact information. And the phone number to call if you have questions and want to reach out that way, 855-TWD-PLAN. 855-TWD-PLAN is the number to dial. Kevin, thanks for the help, guidance on today's show, and the breakdown of all the taxes and all that good stuff. Holidays are around the corner, November, December on tap. Looking forward to what you'll have for us on the next couple of episodes. Yeah, likewise. Well, we should have some finalization of this too. So definitely need to start thinking about it now. Start getting your ducks in a row, as they say, and uh, we'll give an update once we have one. Yep, 2021, almost over. So make those good choices and uh, get, get going if you need to make something happen before the end of the year. Uh, for Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. We will talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Thanks for listening. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.